Welcome back to the Sacred Penning Podcast. I'm your host, Becca Ray. I'm a wife, mom, teacher, international best-selling author, and a transformative soul journaling practitioner. I've experienced and taught the power of this sacred practice for 24 years and journaled since the age of eight. Every Wednesday, we provide somatic, meditative inspiration and spirit-led prompts to pen your way to brighter days. Let's activate energetic discoveries together. It's all at your fingertips. Ready to get gritty? Let's dip in. Welcome back to the Joyful Journaling Podcast. I'm your host, Becca Ray. Today, I have a very special guest with us. I have Diana Lockett. Thank you so much for being with us today. Mm, Thank you so much, Becca. It's an honor to be here. I'm thrilled that I get to spend this time in your presence. Where are you joining us from this evening? I live in a little mountain town about 90 minutes north of Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Oh, wow. That sounds beautiful. Mm -hmm. I moved here almost two years ago from Ontario, Toronto, and um, it's been an adjustment. And I love living in the mountains and I love being by the sea. What an amazing place to ground yourself every day. I can't even imagine that. Mm -hmm. Every day I get to go out for a hike and I live in a community that's a little bit of a rainforest climate. So it rains in the winter rather than snow. But if I want to be in this presence of snow, I take a gondola up to the top of the mountain about 3000 feet and I can go play in the snow or cross country ski right in my town. Or I can drive to Whistler, which is uh, an international internationally recognized ski downhill ski and snowboarding community and that's 40 minutes from my home so I feel very grateful to have landed here you have so many things in common with me I live in a ski town area as well I live in Lake Placid uh, New York and right outside of Lake Placid New York and boy the peace that I feel within those mountains and just the ability to be able to go visit them every day is Mm -hmm. is incredible Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And to be in the presence of the mountains, they are just, um, they're majestic. They are powerful. They're humbling. And uh, yeah, it's a beautiful experience. And I know exactly where you are. And I think that area is absolutely beautiful as well. We appreciate you joining us. Diana and I met through a mutual friend who is my storytelling coach. And I make no apologies with our joyful journalers that everything that came to me in terms of my life story happened through my journal first. So I've met so many beautiful people having the courage to journal and then having any sort of courage to tell my story. So Diana to me is kind of a mentor (laughs) in terms of where I'd like to be one day with the courage and the confidence in telling my own story. So thank you for what you're putting out in the world. Mm, Thank you so much. That means a lot to me. And I will say it was not an easy journey. And it was a journey that had to happen. So thank you very much for that acknowledgement. Sharing my story is something that I've learned is essential. It's a part of me that I can't not do. And I really believe firmly and I've branded this, this um, concept that my story is medicine for the reader. And I know that my stories are impacting many people, 
when I speak on stages, when I write in my book, my stories are really powerful and they create impact. And to be honest, from a very selfish perspective, the more I tell my story, the more I give myself the freedom to tell my story and the more I have access to my voice. So it's one of those things with the more, the more I practice, the more I actually heal in, mm. in the presence of my story. I've never thought about stories like that. That's, that's so beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, so Diana is no, um, <laughs> no strangers to telling her stories either. She's a five-time international bestselling author, an international speaker, and her superpower is her vulnerable storytelling to allow us as her audience to soften into our own loving presence. That's something that means so much to me to know the, what mm. you're doing. So Thank you're you. a you mom know. of two as well. Mm-hmm. I, I have a teenage son and I have an adult daughter and they are my greatest teachers and they have taught me everything that I know about unconditional love forgiveness and loving presence and I'm really grateful for them in my life and you talked about um, the loving presence that I bring to audiences and events that I do and I was at an event this weekend in LA and although I would say the event was hugely successful for me because I was pre-launching my book it wasn't very well attended and Mm. that's just like a promoter issue and when I spoke I was speaking to a smaller audience than I thought would be there. And someone came to me after and said, how did you do that? You spoke with the presence as if you were speaking to a thousand people. Mm-hmm. And what I said to this person was, whether there's, you know, 10 people, a hundred people, a thousand people or 30,000 people, I'm speaking to the collective and I'm speaking to the individual simultaneously. And the research shows that when we speak and impact another on an emotional and physical level, even just by smiling or holding open a door, saying hello, good morning, thank you, please. All of those little gestures. The research shows that we can impact people up to 250 times. 250 people can be impacted. So I do a kind gesture. Someone does a kind gesture. The next person does a kind gesture. And we can impact up to 250 people. And they have did this research. They actually followed from start to finish the impact of a kind gesture. Mm-hmm. So that's number one is I remember that I'm not, I might be speaking to one person. For example, you and I are having a conversation here, but I know it's going to impact a lot of people. The other thing that research shows is that energetically, and because I'm a spiritual coach and mentor, energetically, I understand the impact that we are all energy and the impact energetically goes up to 6,000 people. So when I vibrate at the frequency of wanting to share my story with the intention to uplift and heal other people, I am uplifting and healing the world. And I don't say that from a boasting place. Like there's a lot of humility when I say that. And yeah, just a lot of humility. And it's absolutely um, the reason why I can get on stage. And it doesn't matter who's listening. And whether it's a one-on-one conversation, I'm going to share my full heart because that's what I'm called to do. That's so beautiful. And are you still one of the only alignment coaches in Canada? So my coaching brand is called Realignment Coaching. So I am the only Realignment Coach in Canada. I have an intention at some point to do a coaching certification program. And Realignment Coaching is a blend of spiritual coaching, 
personal development, life coaching, and embodiment coaching. And I have um, experience and expertise in all those areas. So I blend it all together. And it's a really impactful coaching methodology in that I typically only coach people for three months. And that's what my programs are, three-month programs. But within the first or second session, people have literally transformed their lives, their belief system, their relationship to their experiences. And then we have the next like, you know, 10 or 11 weeks to really solidify it. But it happens pretty quickly. And it's because I don't follow a prescriptive strategy. I really can tune in and listen and feel my clients and intuit what it is that they need. And because they are me lovingly disguised as them, it becomes pretty effortless from my perspective to be able to offer that. So yes, long story short, I am Canada's only realignment coach. Realign to Thrive is my program. I also have another program that's called Regulate to Edge, Regulate to Communicate. Mm-hmm. And Regulate to Communicate is my um, leadership coaching program, leadership uh, consulting program that I bring into corporations, education, and parents. So anybody that has the impact of influencing another that's the program that I bring in which is all about how to self-regulate with seven pillars of the program self-regulate to be able to be co-regulators because we we need each other and we need each other to come from this place of a relaxed nervous system relaxed state so that we can be better in relation relationship or whatever the relating is My focus has been primarily corporations for that, and yet it's education that's calling me in because I spent 32 years in education working as a speech-language pathologist, primarily with nonverbal children on the autism spectrum. And so it's not surprising that I'm putting the intention to want to work with corporations and education saying, no, no, we want you to overhear. And so I'm training secretaries, principals, and teachers, and also doing leadership training with secondary students which is high school students, I think you call them in the States, with high school students, so that they can step into their leadership with an understanding that who they are matters just as much as the other person. And then they're given the tools to be able to navigate life in a way that's more relaxed, kinder, gentler, and more successful. My son is a person on the autism spectrum, and it was people's loving presence and his ability to learn self-regulation skills that I think to this day have helped him to be a successful human being. So Mm. I truly appreciate the work that you did in the past because that's what's made the difference in his life as as his mom, I can see it. Yay. And that's the work that I do in the present now. I'll let you know just really quickly. I moved to this little mountain town two years ago and I took, I was going through a transition. I was doing some deep heart healing, heartbreak healing. And so I didn't rush to go back into work. I was writing my books. I was working for a publishing company for a bit as a consultant. And then when I started going into my community here and meeting people who are working in the field of autism, I said to them, what would serve your community the most? Tell me where I'm needed. And that's my big thing is I often ask people, how can I help? I don't want to just um, impose myself. I want to go where I'm really needed. And I said, would it be helpful for you if I was working as a speech language pathologist, providing communication and social communication skills and strategies for students? Or would it be more helpful for you if I came in as my conscious communication leadership consultant coaching role and showed and helped people to self-regulate so that parents aren't just saying to their kids 25 times a day, calm down, calm down, calm down. And the kids don't know how to, and the parents don't know how to. And every professional that I spoke to said, that's what we need. 
That's what we're missing. And so that's what I'm doing here. I, I, you know, I'm still registered as a speech language pathologist should those needs come up. And most of what I'm doing is, is doing programming for parent groups to show the parents, first of all, to build community with the parents, which is my favorite thing to do is building community, build a parental community where they recognize they're not alone. And a big part of what I do is I have them write down, I'll give them prompts and I'll have them write down their responses on a sticky note. A prompt might be something like, what's your biggest top three stressors in the last month? And they write it on a sticky note so it's anonymous. And then I read them out. And I call this the just like me movement. As I read them out, if anybody relates to what I read, I have them put up their hand. Usually we're looking at about like 50 to 75 parents in a, in a room. Put up your hand and then parents look around and see how you're not alone. This is how we build community. And that's probably the most impactful thing that I get to do with these parents is to recognize they're not the only ones that are dealing with the challenges that they have every day. And then I give them the tools and I tell them stories and I help them relax into their systems and I show them what to do with their kids so their kids can relax in their presence as well. So I, I love what I get to do. It's like such a, it's like life is a playground and mm-hmm. I get to really enjoy all of my various hats and tools and skills and put them together in, in one room. And um, yeah, it's really an honor. My mom was a speech language pathologist who became a preschool teacher who became a leader uh, before she passed. Yay. I, <laughs> there, there must be something about leadership and the ability to help people feel held and to give them the tools to do that communication in a safe place. I, I admire yeah. your work. Thank you. Oh, my goodness. I admire the work of everybody that gets to be in the presence of these kids every day. You know, my role for like, about 25 of my 32 years was as a board level consultant. So I would come in, I would do like, you know, the bird's eye view of what's going on in the environment, what's going on with this kiddo, what do they need? And because it was my specialty, I could come up with it pretty quickly. And my clients were really other speech language pathologists who would call me in. And being in that consulting role truly is a leadership role. And so I was able to develop my leadership skills very young without even realizing that I was working on that. And so kudos to your mom for recognizing that she too is a leader. And you know what, though, Becca, we're all leaders. We're always leading something. We're self-governing every day that we choose what we're going to eat, what we're going to put in our bodies, how we're going to interact with life. We're self-leading and self-governing. And the question that I like to ask people at the beginning of my talks is, given that we're all leaders and you're all leading something, how are you choosing to lead? And are you a leader who really cares? Usually I have a swear word that goes with that. A leader who really gives a, gives a crap, cares about how they're impacting the world because we're always impacting. Remember, energetically, 6,000 people impacted by one experience. Physically and emotionally, 250 people. That's a lot of responsibility. And I hope that people listening get to pause for a moment and go, hmm, how am I leading? How am I showing up? How am I relating to life with this moment being your life right here and now? And then this moment and this moment, right? Each moment is a representation of life. And we don't have to get anywhere to start living life and experiencing life. We're here right now. This is life. That's right. Mm -hmm. I used to tell my students I taught for 21 years, check your energy at the door. And a lot of them couldn't because they didn't know how to be in that presence. Until they stepped through the door. And so every day I would decorate the door 
with all year, it looked like a present. You're walking in, there was a ribbon around it, and you would be walking through into the presence of each other and as a present, the gift of being with one another. So, oh my gosh. I love that. I love that. I love that because it truly is a gift. And I mean, I mean, working with kids is absolutely a privilege. Working with kids with special needs is an even greater privilege. They have been my biggest teachers. I learned so much about my leadership, my conscious communication, my presence by watching and observing how they approach me. And it made me have to be really conscious because these kiddos have like big BS detectors. They know who's real. They know who's not. And some of the kids I've worked with have been kids that have been really aggressive, unreliable, unpredictable. And so I had to be really clear about my own energy before I even stepped into the classroom so that I could hold space for them in a way that allowed them to relax. And I would go in and I would teach what I called I'm putting my quotation mark fingers up now, the language of relaxation. And I said to the administrators, it might look like yoga. And I'm going in with my speech pathologist hat. So that's not in my scope of practice, yoga, um, not in the, not, not recognized in the scope of practice, but the language of regulation absolutely is. The language of relaxation absolutely is. So I had the opportunity to bring that into schools as well in special education classrooms, which was a lot of fun. The last two years that I taught, I was in, um, I know in Canada, we say Indigenous peoples, um, but in mm-hmm. the United States, we still say Native American. I was in a Native American yeah. community school, and we had the Aquasasne Holistic Wellness Foundation come into our schools and have mindfulness. And these were the best days that my students had. And they were the yeah. best days that I had, too, is having these facilitators come in and breathe with us and meditate and do yoga and teach us how to be present with whatever was there on that day. And during a COVID time period, even coming to school was an act of courage here um, to show up. Oh my goodness. Absolutely. And kudos to you. (laughs) Yeah, I love that. So the area that I live in is called Squamish. Mm -hmm. And Squamish is actually an unceded territory of the First Nations Squamish uh, band or tribe. And so I'm, I'm in a very indigenous community here in, in uh, British Columbia. And I see it as an incredible opportunity to really listen, mm-hmm. to really listen, listen to the land, listen to the people who know the land so much better than I do, who know their traditions. I am a trained circle facilitator and I got um, trained in an organization in Amsterdam and I can hold space for a circle. I can run circles. I can help people really process things in circles. In circles, one of the things that's wonderful is there is no leadership. The circle Mm -hmm. is the leader. And I sit in the presence of some of our um, leaders in this community, and they're so skillful and knowledgeable and present, and I have so much to learn from them. Wow. What a a gift. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I notice all the things you're talking about seem to be wrapped up in the title of your new book, A Call to Freedom, Heal Your Pain, Awaken Your Loving Presence. How do you see this book that, did it take you seven years to write, as kind of a culmination of your life? Yeah. Yeah, it's taken me seven years. So this has been a real labor of um, love and resistance. And it is a memoir that starts the day I was born and moves through 
some of the most beautiful and challenging and heartbreaking and loss and grief filled moments of my life. And throughout, I weave in the spiritual embodiment, which is the body, Soma, spiritual embodiment and life coaching principles and practices that I picked up along the way and eventually became certified and started teaching. And it's a full circle book where I don't want to give away too much. It's on pre-order right now. So depending on when this um, episode airs, it may be available. So April 1st is our launch date on Amazon. And my story is really one of going from isolation, neglect, abuse, unhealthy attachments, negative self-talk, all of that stuff that's just so common in the world today, to coming full circle in chapter 13, where my son, who at the time was 14, woke me up at 1.30 in the morning. It was April 21st, 2021, in the middle of COVID, and asked me three questions. And the last question he asked me was about, essentially, what is our purpose? Why are we here? And I give the answer super clearly. So anybody who's on a quest to find out what is my purpose, read the book. If you want, go right to chapter 13. I talked about this in LA when I was on the stage and I have all these like super fans, chapter 13 super fans, I'm calling them now because they told me they're not going to start at one. They're going to go right to chapter 13 because they want to know their purpose. You too can know your purpose. And then what happens is once we recognize that purpose, then we get to decide how we wish to bring it into the world. And I'm going to just leave that little cliffhanger there. And it was absolutely a delight to write this book. In the process of writing it, I distracted myself by writing five compilation books and co-authored five other books that went to be international bestsellers. And the gift of that is it brought me clarity as a writer. It taught me about some of the processes as a self-publisher, how to publish a book, how to promote a book, how to produce a book. I learned all of those tips and tools. So it was um, really well-used time. And I tell people this book could not have been written sooner and finished sooner than it was, because even though I thought I was complete in 2018, there was a whole other part of my life that was unexpected that had to be in the book that happened in 2020 to 2021. Mm. So the book is now complete as it is. And there are 13 chapters and there's an accompanied journal that I'm making available for people for free for people who pre-order the book. There'll be an accompanied journal that they can receive as well. And that'll probably get published at some point as well for a small cost, but nothing, nothing too big. Oh, that makes me very happy because as you know, journaling is everything to me. Mm -hmm. Um, This year I, self-published my own book called Embodying Joy. And not because I've learned how to do that. It's because I'm just starting to learn. And I want to invite people to that because it's such an important healing process. And Uh having an audience of one in my journaling since the age of eight, as as you were saying, when you heal one person, you heal the world. And I feel that being a part of that journaling process is so important for everybody. So I'm really happy that you're, you're doing that. Was journaling a part of any of your journey in coming up with these books? Yes, I've been journaling. I've been on this spiritual and personal development uh, road for about 25 years. Mm-hmm. And journaling was one of the first things I did. 
And I've kept all of my journals and I've moved three times since. And I have probably about 30 journals, 30 or 40 journals. And journaling was um, so essential for me through different parts of my healing. It wasn't the only thing I did, Mm -hmm. but it was always something that I did. And sometimes I journaled, you know, with prompts. Sometimes I just, I just brain dumped in my journal. Sometimes if I wanted to do some healing for my younger self, I would journal with my left hand, my non-dominant hand. Mm -hmm. I can't even read those journals today. I don't even know what I wrote in those journals, but I know it was really healing for me. So absolutely. I think journaling is a wonderful tool. Meditation is something I've been doing for 25 years. And meditation is wonderful to quiet the mind. The thing is, meditation is not the only answer. And I really want to... um, really get this message across. Meditation is essential to be able to quiet the mind. But anybody who's had trauma in their past, trauma lives in the body. And that's why I love the title of your book, Embodied Joy. And I want to just, I'm going to come back to this point, but I want to say something on the side note. When you talked about your being um, at the beginning stages of your journey, I really believe that we always teach what we need to learn the most. When I teach yoga and I theme in yoga, because I'm also a yoga teacher trainer, and I theme, everything is always what's present for me, what's present in the world moving through me. And so I love that you did this early on in your healing journey, because it's exactly what you needed. And all healing has its time. And there's never less than more than you're exactly where you're meant to be. So I wanted to give that side note. Coming back to meditation, it's such an incredible tool. We all need to meditate. If you don't have a meditation practice, it is like there's no excuse not to have one today, right? There's so many thousands of meditation apps and YouTube videos, and I have tons of them that are online. If you search for me on YouTube, Diana Lockett, you'll come across some meditations. I have meditations that are included in my book. So there's a QR code to be able to access a heart meditation from my book. And the thing is, because trauma and tension live in the body, we need embodiment practices to be able to move it through the body. Otherwise, the way that I describe it is it's like a garden hose. And if we have tension and trauma that's stored in our body, we kink our nervous system, which is the communication network between the body and the brain. So it's like kinking the garden hose. And then the water can't flow. Well, that kink literally shuts down our life force. And then people say, I just don't know what's wrong. I'm just not happy. I can't access my joy. Well, it's because you've got a kink in your nervous system. There's something that's literally been shut down and stored there. And in order to open and awaken to your greatest ecstasy in life, you need to go down there and feel that and and heal it. We need to feel it to heal it because the issues are in our tissues. And if they're undigested and unexpressed, then we can't unkink the pathway to feeling the full spectrum of what it means to be an embodied soul. That makes sense. And, you know, I, I'm not uh, very good at yoga yet, but I enjoy experimenting with it and trying. I love that you said yet. <laughs> that's, that's skillful means of communication. And I do know it is a practice, just like meditation is a practice, just like I tell my joyful journalers, it's a practice. It it mm-hmm. takes dedication and playing with it and giving yourself grace with it. You know, you said you've been doing this for such a long time. I'm sure that even still to this day, you feel that there are things you're practicing with, right? It's always a practice. The day that I believe that I've perfected 
anything is got to be the day that I die because mm. I am a student of life. It is a practice. And for me, yoga, if we can go back to yoga specifically, yoga is a, is a conversation about life. Mm. The way that I show up on the mat, the way that I move my body on the mat, the way that I breathe on the mat, this is simply an expression of life. And it's just life embodied in that moment. The way that I meditate is a reflection of life. You know, when I started meditation 25 years ago, I would sit and two things would happen. I would either fall asleep sitting or I would have this incredible nauseating feeling where I felt like I needed to vomit. Mm. And I thought there was something wrong with the way I meditated. That or my thoughts would never stop. And what I realized today and I tell people today is that's like mastery in meditation in that I am so aware of what's happening that I'm not lost in my thoughts of running my to-do list, my grocery list, whatever that happens to be. I'm present to these sensations in my body. I'm present to my thoughts coming through. That's mastery. Falling asleep? Well, I just say I was tired. And my meditation teacher used to say to me, because I brought this up to her, she said, well, why are you meditating? Are you meditating to awaken or are you meditating to sleep? And it's like, no, sometimes I meditate to go to sleep because it's sometimes I can't sleep. And so I do a meditation to sleep. So I just want us to be a little bit kinder to ourselves, mm -hmm. remove the judgments that there's we're doing it wrong, that there's something not that we're not mastering. It's like if you're meditating, if you're moving your body, if you're doing your breath work, if you're conscious of your communication, if you're able to feel how your heart is, any tension, things that you're holding on to. You're you're doing a good job. Like you you're doing you're you're acing life. This is good. It's a process of waking up. <laughs> it's a journey again and again. And in my book, I talk about how I am not a woke person. Mm -hmm. I simply have moments of and, and very very committed practices that allow me to awaken in moments, and then I'll go to sleep, and then I wake up. The thing is, my sleeping times are not as long as they used to be. I catch myself faster. And then when I catch myself, I'm really gentle with myself. I don't judge myself. And then I do what's called repair, hmm. whether it's with my kids or a significant other or whatever situation, the repair is critical. That's like part of what it means to be in relationship with life and with others, whoever the others happen to be, is if you do go to sleep, and then you wake up because you catch yourself. Then there's a repair that's needed usually. And it's sometimes as simple as, wow, that really wasn't my highest self today. I'm really sorry. That's it. Compassion. Kind of. Yeah. Lots of self-compassion. Do you feel that repair is, is tied in with forgiveness and maybe self-forgiveness? Or is it different? I think, yeah. So I think the repair is, is what happens with the other person. And self-forgiveness is what happens first in you. So you need to forgive yourself so that you can repair for it to be authentic and genuine. And you you know that I've written in the book, um, in a book about forgiveness specifically. Mm -hmm. And then I have a whole chapter in my, my solo book on forgiveness. Forgiveness is a journey. And you and I both know that forgiveness is the opportunity, is an opportunity of releasing the tension from your heart of softening your heart, one's own heart, and has nothing to do with releasing the other person from the charge. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So forgiveness for me has been a big part through my 30s and early 40s. Forgiveness was a big part of my journey and trying to figure out how do I forgive the people who abused me, the people who neglected me, the people who stole from me, the people who betrayed me. How do I forgive? And I realized it had nothing to do with them. Mm-hmm. It was my work. It was me, my heart. Yeah. And then I could choose whether the repair if there's a piece for me to repair, if it's a a piece that I want to do in real time with them, or simply sometimes I just journal about that. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I do it as an energetic repair because it's not always safe to go back into environments where, for example, I was sexually abused. I don't want to meet that perpetrator face to face. And yet I can still send them love. And I'm going to give you my phrase that I use and it's in my book for that forgiveness chapter is that everybody does the best they can, given their model of reality of the world, their capacity, and their resources in that moment. Mm. And it never makes it okay. But for whatever reason, they couldn't do it differently. And so when I take that lens, everybody does the best they can, given their model of reality of the world, their capacity, and their resources. I can remember they are me, lovingly disguised as them. And I know that's hard to swallow when you've come from an abusive environment. I know that. And yet that's been my 25 year journey. That's what I had to wait for to finish this book is I had to really embody that Mm -hmm. and feel it with every cell of my being and keep my heart spacious in the concepts of these other people as I think about them and recognize that they were born an innocent child. And something happened along their way. And I can forgive so much because I can remember that innocent child still lives in them. And this is for everybody, by the way. Even the people that do the the most inexcusable or unimaginable things on a human level, they're still souls. I want to give you a a book to read. I'm going to share it with your your audience right now. Mm -hmm. It's a book by Dr. Wayne Dyer. No, it's not. It's a book by Neil Donald Walsh, and it's called The Little Soul and the Sun. Have you heard of that book? No, but I've, I've heard of the author. So it is, he's the author of uh, Conversations with God. Yes. He's got five versions of five, five Conversations with God. And Neil does this story, tells this story about, it's a children's, they call it the children's parable. It's a children's book, but I read it to adults Mm -hmm. on stages and trainings. I read it to adults because it is so critical for forgiveness. And the essence of this book is there's a little child, a soul having a conversation with God, whatever the God of your understanding is. I'm not here to preach religion. Whatever the God of your understanding is, there is an intelligent source that made you come through in this body. And there's a one in 400, 200 to 400 billion chances you would be here and you made the cut. So something, some higher power wanted you, exactly you, the listener, as you are today to be here. That makes you nothing short of a miracle. So the story goes that the little soul is having a conversation with their God saying that they want to come back to earth and pract- and um, and God says, wonderful, what are you going to come back as? What do you want to come back and embody? And the little soul said, 
I, I don't know, what are my options? And he was told that the options were he could embody grace, he could embody gratitude, he can embody forgiveness, he can embody courage. And he said, oh, forgiveness, forgiveness. I want to embody forgiveness. Mm. And God said, oh, that's so great, but there's just one problem. I've made you all so perfect, there's nothing to forgive. And just then his friend, his friend, his friend who's called, um, now I'm getting them mixed up. I think his friend is called the kind soul, walks up to him and says, hey, I have an idea. I'll come and join you on this journey and I'll be the one that gives you something to forgive so you can practice forgiveness. And the little soul says, you would do that for me? How come? And the kind soul says, well, because you've done it for me many times before. Mm. And he says, there's only one problem. At the moment that I strike and I give you the experience that you have asked for to embody, the experience that allows you to forgive, it's going to be really important that you remember who I am because in that moment, I will have forgotten who I am. Mm. And that story, every time that I tell that story and that I read that story, it reminds me that everybody does the best they can given their model of reality of the world, their capacity and their resources. And forgiveness is our work. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm like tearing up. So (laughs) yeah, it's a, it's a powerful story. And, um, Mm. I do recommend people get that book and read it regularly, read it to your kids. Know that when you read it to your kids and your students, you're reading it to yourself Mm. because it is a powerful story. And I have these conversations with my kiddo because he's 16, right? And it's (laughs) black and it's gray and it's black and it's white. And it's like, buddy, there's so much gray in between. And that even the people that have done unimaginable things on earth, they were little children once and their souls. And there's something that there's some contract that they signed up for that's not making sense to them. And we still need to send them love because that's who we are. We are love. Yes, we are. I'm going to ask you a difficult Mm -hmm. question, but you probably have a perfect answer. (laughs) <laughs> there's no perfection I'm, I am perfectly imperfect my darling just like everybody listening you probably have a, a great way to practice um, I always give my guests an opportunity to provide a journaling prompt for my listeners and we just got done with a 14 day self love challenge can you give my listeners a very self compassionate and self loving journal prompt based on that story that you just told me. Yeah. It's it's not when when you told me you were going to ask this question, can I tell you what prompt came to my mind then? I'll tell you what's present now. Yes. So I'll actually be telling two. Yes. So when you, before we started uh, recording, you mentioned this and the first thing that came to mind is as a journal prompt is go into your body and start to feel into the various parts of your body that are calling your attention and use that as a journaling prompt. And it would look something like this. What does it feel like to live in the sole of your right foot and write that? Mm -hmm. What does it feel like to live in your belly and write that? What does it feel like to live in your heart and write that? Mm -hmm. And the beautiful gift of that practice is that you start to disidentify with the emotions that we tend to get really stuck in, like, I'm so sad, I'm so angry, I'm so frustrated. Instead, I'm aware that my heart feels heavy. Mm. I'm aware that my belly is churning, right? Anxiety and stress are really big common terms today. Instead, I'm aware that my heart feels heavy. I'm aware that my shoulders are tight 
So we start to describe the body that's called sensations, the language of the body. And in doing so, we learn to recognize that there's a lot of room for so much for us to embody. Because in addition to all the tightness and tension, there's also spaciousness and light and ease and tingly and all kinds of other sensations. When you ask me the question in relation to this story that I just told, what came to mind as a journal prompt, and I think this would be a beautiful journal prompt, and it is the last sentence of my book, chapter 13. And the question is, what would love do? Mm -hmm. And let that be your guide every day. What would love do? So you're about to journal. What would love do right now? What would love write? What would How would love respond to whatever's going on in life, to whatever you're thinking about? Can you bring a loving presence to that? I love it. Thank you for two. <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome. So... What is coming up for you in the next couple months? What exciting events and different things are you going to be doing surrounding your gift, your book to the world? Mm, thank you. I I really don't have a lot of um, attachment to the outcome of my book. I mean, of course, every author wants to see their book. Their book do really well. I want to help people with the book. Mm-hmm. I know that this book needed to be written. And... I am putting it out into the world and simply uh, palms are up, simply waiting to see what the next call is for me. Mm. And I will be starting a Facebook group that uh, will be called, Are You Ready for the Call? The Call to Freedom. Mm. And so I invite anybody to, to join that Facebook group. It'll be not a public group, but a private group. And my intention is to host some masterclass in there and eventually do some trainings as well on how to access and listen to the call to freedom. Mm. We have it every moment of every day, but we don't pay attention. So I want to bring that into the world through a Facebook group. I'm also going to be doing at some point in 2023 coaching certification to be a realignment coach. And then this other branch of my business that is around regulate to communicate, which I love because it bridge it bridges everything that I've done my entire career in life into one program. And I get to deliver that into schools and corporations and parent groups. And my impact this year, my mission is to impact 2 million students. And so this is where I say I need help. Mm-hmm. Can't do it alone. I need contacts. I need people to put me in touch with their school system, their school board, their teachers, their administrators, even secretaries. So a couple of weeks ago, I trained 800 secretaries virtually. And the secretaries are the ones who receive the kids who are having meltdowns in the classroom. And the the secretaries are also Mm -hmm. the ones that go, oh my gosh, here she comes again when that mother's about to walk in the door. So I trained them. Everything we've talked about today, I shared with them. I gave them a new way to engage with life. And then I gave them lots of tools and strategies as well. So my impact, 2 million kids, I need help. If people have a school system that's receptive, if you're a teacher, if you're an administrator, if you're a secretary, you want to bring this into your school district or into your individual school, reach out to me, dianalockett.com. I have a contact form and we will make it work whether I come live. So I'll come live for full day or multi-day events. 
I'll do it virtually if it's a keynote for an hour. I will tell you that my gift of doing virtual talks is almost as impactful as being live. And mm. I don't know what it is, but I just feel like I'm live, like I can feel presence. I am, I am with them, even when it's through the screen, I am with them. And that's the feedback that I get. So I'm happy to serve. Um, I say yes to life when it's clearly well, in service of something bigger in the world. We appreciate you sharing with my joyful journaling community and you're such an inspiration. We well, are so grateful for your time today. Thank you so much. You are an inspiration as well. And in your presence, I feel relaxed and um, inspired. So thank you.